0: Welcome to the pod everyone. A shout out to SGS.
1: Hey Rusty, why are we uh, partnering with SGS?
0: Uh, uh, some, some, Some good people there. Pretty excited about their sports coaching courses and sports courses. Keen to make them industry ready so when people leave they're able to go and transfer into any kind of industries, coaching, Teaching, being an analyst, business, whatever it might be. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting times, really.
1: So what's so special about their degree courses that others will not be doing?
0: I think it'll be lots of uh, real good partnerships, uh, opportunities for people to to get into different contexts and learn and practice. It'll be feel very applied. People will be stretched and supported, and will leave yeah you know, ready to just go and thrive in the uh, big old world out there.
1: SGS College is the home of Bristol's higher education sports programmes. The programmes are designed to develop unique, innovative and creative sports practitioners ready for industry. Do you want to be a coach or teacher of the future? Start your journey here at SGS College and become more than just a graduate. Visit sgscol.ac.uk to apply now.
0: Captain Rob, uh, with your Mason uh, hoodie on, how are you?
2: Very well, Rusty, mate. Thanks for having me. How are you going?
0: Yeah, mate, I'm cool. I'm good. As, as we were just talking about, we're, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to a bit of a breakaway at Tedbra in the next few weeks, uh, which would be cool. And um, yeah, mate, cool. Mate, I, lo- I love the fact that you asked me straight away. You are like king of mental health and checking in on coaches and all of that. At one point, you, I'm, I'm sure you're going to have like a Mason learning hoodie as well.
2: They're in the post, mate. Yours will be there within the week.
0: I I, I recommend your website to lots of people, so I hope you're getting plenty of traffic on it.
2: It's not a bad idea. We could monetize it, get some merch out there. Look, mate, I'm all about disseminating free knowledge. I'm not, (laughs) but you know, if the people want merch,
0: they want. (laughs) Nice, mate. Well, look, it's it's good to catch up again, and definitely keep uh, like touch base on some of the previous stuff and how that's been going, and. Uh, I also had the pleasure of jumping on with listening to the master in action the other day with the uh, Western Australian Institute of Sport gang. Can we should we start there?
2: The waste crew, yeah, absolutely.
0: You're calling them,
2: yeah. Maybe that's a bit of Australian slang, but uh, yeah, had the the pleasure and the privilege of uh, sitting in with um, a group via Zoom, of course, at the West Australian Institute of Sport and. And doing some coach development with them and um, working uh, fairly closely with Belinda Stoll as well, Um, getting her kind of uh, initiated as a coach developer. She's a very uh, successful athlete and coach and and looking to move into the next kind of step of her career. So it was cool to co-present some stuff with her and yeah, hear from the coaches over there.
0: Nice. Let's go into the content, but I'm also like interested in that concept of like like Belinda is a coach, but actually within that group, they would benefit from someone or some people like almost being coach developers. Now, I I'm actually thinking about that with your work. So with the AFL stuff, do you ever, do you think, I guess to start with, it's often new, but I also trying to upskill coaches to almost like coach develop themselves.
2: There's an element of that, isn't there? I mean, it's the same notion as a coach gradually making themselves redundant um, so that the athlete can you know, seek their own feedback, solve their own problems. It's probably the same as a coach developer, isn't it? You want to leave an organisation better than when you arrived and, and you know, some of those processes around uh, seeking the learning yourself and seeking feedback in the things that you do as a coach I think they're all things that we can start to hand over to coaches as we work through. So I certainly don't want to be leading it all as a coach developer.
0: Yeah, that was my thought when I first started doing stuff with them was actually at the end, like whatever the end looks like, that there needs to be someone, at least one person, who's able to then take this forward and keep it alive, um, which will be helpful. Should we talk about the stuff then? So 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 they mic themselves up.
2: They did, yes. So it was a a two-part, part part A and a part B. Um, I'm more of a part A guy myself. Uh, So essentially what we did was uh, looked at a few different coding schemes for feedback, and then um, I sent the coaches away with homework after session one to go and record themselves in their own environment. So uh, for most of them, that was um, the training environment. And then, yeah, they came to session two with that audio recording and a pretty simple Code, uh, coding scheme for the feedback, and they just worked through what they were saying, how they were saying it, and the learning really came out of that silent session of uh, AirPods in, having a listen, going, "Oh, do I really sound like that? And d- did I really say that?" And um, yeah, I think they got something out of it.
0: Yeah, it felt like a silent disco. I quite enjoyed it. People on Zoom listening to themselves intently. What was that? What were the bits? Or the bits of feedback or things that they said that you can remember the most.
2: Probably around how they, uh, for parts of it, how they tailor their message to to each of their athletes. So um, having different athletes in the same squad with pretty different um, levels of experience, and just the way that that communication happens quite differently. So the way that you'll give feedback to a really experienced athlete is going to look very different to a someone who's coming in for their third or fourth session, you know, fresh off being a recreational athlete.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And again, and so the coding, so if I remember the coding system, it was like positive, negative, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, autonomy supported and uh, like controlling. You're on the ball. And then uh, like open closed, was it around questions?
2: Yeah, third one was around questions, just to get an idea of how many questions were getting asked and whether they were more kind of those, do you understand, yep, or whether they were promoting deeper discussion. So just wanted to give them a, a tasting plate, if you like, a smorgasbord of, of things that you can consider when you're looking at, um, at coding your own feedback. Not to say that they're the three most important, but they're a starting point.
0: Yeah, my, I, I, I seem to remember people talking about actually we speak quite a lot. Uh, We speak more than we thought we were speaking. And actually I'm going to, so I was uh, in with uh, England recently and actually create some cards where I just like wrote down phrases I heard. So, um, and and then got the coaches that they got a chance to like, choose the ones they wanted to talk about. See if they could Mm -hmm. remember when they said it, like, maybe like what was the impact it had um and then start from a position of actually what's helpful about this but also then go like how could we have adapted this or done this differently or but it's also like fascinating isn't it how yeah we're just not aware of some of this stuff so when people on the waste call were going oh i didn't realize i spoke quite so much it's like we're just not aware are we
2: yeah that's a a big finding and even you know, listening back to a recording of myself presenting one of these sessions is pretty daunting in terms of the the tangents that you find yourself going on or just the sheer amount of stuff you say. So that's that's in itself a good learning. And that's been part of my work with um, AFL this year has been just noting down some of those things that get said and, and not necessarily putting a value judgment on it, but just offering that mirror back to the coaches to go, here's what you said, here's how much it was and is how many times you said it over the course of the game.
0: Do you want to explain the positive negative? Cause again, like like the value judgment, I think is an important part of this.
2: Mm, for sure. It's not a perfect code. It's just, you know, at its heart, it's probably was, was the performance evaluated in a positive light or a negative light? Was it praise or was it kind of scold? If you want to go back to some of the language used in those original coach observation studies, but um if, For the most part, um, coaches are fairly neutral. They sit in the middle. Um, It might be just some instruction without, you know, good boy, good work, that kind of stuff. But um, keeping a note on how the positive, negative stuff changes as the game goes on can be um, a really interesting thing. And certainly I know we've spoken about that before, but in a training environment where there's not as much pressure on most of the time and, and you can be a bit more, kind of jovial and supportive that's where you see more positive stuff coming out um pretty consistently across the board
0: and would that be i guess you did training with all of them but i guess you you would you'd probably start with training and then you might go to match and then you might contrast the two i guess Um, yeah and then a couple of interesting things so they they work in sports that are different to the sports that me and you work in so they also work in like sailing or paddling where they're possibly working more with individuals, and they're sometimes working like quite far away from those individuals. So, I mean, what did is there any stuff you learned from that?
2: Yeah, for sure. The idea of having to communicate with someone on a radio and you're in a little speedboat getting thrown around by the waves—like we, we think sometimes that on being on the sideline of a, a football pitch or something is is high intensity, but you add in the fact that you're not even sitting on a stable surface. My goodness, it's got to add a bit. Mind you, I'm not much of a water baby, so yeah, maybe it's more natural for for some than others. But, yeah, just the realisation and the learning for me as a coach developer is that, you know, you can't take your evidence from one context and put it straight into another. And so it's the acknowledgement up front that I'm not the expert in this context. I'm I'm here to find out stuff from you guys um, and to then, you know, work with them to figure out what it all means in their context and, and just how much feedback you can give over the radio while, you know, the wind's blowing at 40 knots an hour or whatever it might be.
0: Yeah. I mean, that their, their world is so different. Like if there's no wind, it's like almost impossible to train. Like you can be completely beholden to the weather on whether or not training actually happens. Like, yeah, I guess it just fascinates me. And then the, the other one I was just um, before we jumping back into AFL, like, the autonomy supported and the controlling. I, I loved your videos that you shared uh, in advance that looked, yeah, and sometimes like controlling sounds like, like terrible and really like, like the coaches like, but actually it's, it, it's it's probably a little bit more subtle than that, isn't it?
2: It is. And I think for most people, there's a negative connotation when they think, oh, controlling feedback, I, I shouldn't do that. But I think an important distinction to make especially in the heat of competition is that sometimes controlling feedback good you want to be fairly direct and and fairly certain in your messaging rather than you know sometimes time is of the essence and you don't have a lot of time to gather everyone and what do we all think and your your opinion's great and um, sometimes it needs to be fairly direct Um, and that's yeah, that's, that's part and parcel of, of being a coach in a, a high-pressure environment sometimes is you need to be controlling, and, and that can be okay.
0: Now, so if, you got, if you got another go with the waste, what, what would you do next or what are your, what are your reflections on it?
2: Yeah, good question. Um, I think if I got a, another session in with them, it would be around revisiting that initial recording that they had and starting to look at some trends over time. Um, it's, it's a great first step to record yourself and listen back and do some kind of initial coding. But then to look at, all right, that was one session in the middle of June. What does that look like compared to September? What does it look like compared to December? What about in, in competition? How does it compare to your colleagues? You know, even within the same sport with the same athletes, one coach will communicate differently to another. So looking at some of those variables, like change over time, like those different contexts between competition and training and, and even experience level of the coach, I think some of that stuff we could start to unpack and, and not necessarily put a value judgment on it and say, oh, Joe Bloggs is doing a really great job of it, so we should all try and coach like him. But just starting to unpack the why. Why do we communicate differently to each other?
0: No, sure. Definitely a C D E F G. H kind of guy then as well. Like uh, I like the initial stimulus. That I, I'm an A kind of guy. And how's the AFL stuff been going? Obviously, you're filling it in now with a day job, which probably makes it a bit more challenging. But like, what what have you been up to? And any any stuff that's like you'd love to share?
2: Yeah, it's been fun. This is my I guess my fifth season with the same footy club, so it's been really rewarding to see the change in those coaches over time there are a few coaches there who I've seen um, over the entire five years which is rare enough in a elite sporting setting as it is but for me to be able to work with them over that time has been really good Um, yeah working remotely essentially for them Um, they left South Australia uh, at various intervals due to our lockdowns and uh, restrictions in Melbourne and so um, yeah, still getting the coaches' Box audio recordings every week and, and having to listen back to those and providing some feedback on um, the way coaches observe, make decisions, um, communicate decisions to players, um, just that kind of game day process. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're at a point now where we're refining it um, and, and things are getting quite consistent. And it's just um, over the course of a season, the pressure gauge goes up and down as your opponents get easier and more challenging. And it's just, just a matter of being able to adapt to those moments on the fly and, and stay true to ourselves. The
0: players, the players are the players aware of it. It's interesting. I was speaking to some players the other week and they spoke about seeing their coach practice his like, his like um, meetings in the gym and stuff. And actually they were, they saw that in a really positive light. Mm. Like the, are the players aware that the coaches are working on some stuff?
2: They're aware of it, certainly. But yeah, I, I'm not actually sure how much how much of a chat they have these days. There were some some conversations when I was more kind of physically at the club around who's that bloke and why is he always listening and taking notes and what what does that actually mean? And so that really tall yeah. guy
0: with the Mason learning <laughs> tracksuit on,
2: <laughs> just lurking at the back of the <laughs> classroom. Um, yeah, some of them are quite curious about it, and some of our players are, you know, going through physio degrees or sports science degrees, and and you know, doing different higher learning and kind of interested in the research. And um, yeah, fortunate enough to be able to interview some of them for one of my PhD studies, so they they got a bit more of a um, intense look into what on earth I do.
0: And what happens when, uh, like, as you said, like you've been doing it five years? It's pretty common in coaching for. People to arrive, people to leave, like what happens when the coaching team changes? Do you just do, do you feel like you start again? Do like do, do, do they kind of the, the coaches that have remained, do they bring that person in and go, look, this is how we do things around here? Do you do you feel like there's much more of a set of principles, let's say, around like match day and how we communicate? Is that is that where you feel like the team's got to?
2: Yeah, I feel like uh, over the five years, the coaches have kind of um, embodied a lot of these principles and it's theirs now. It's not something that I'm still doing to them. It's something that they've developed over time. And so if you take that core group out and transplant them or, you know, disperse them across the country into other clubs, it'd be really interesting to see whether those habits continue and whether those systems are adopted elsewhere or, you know, the alternative is, you know, if I start with a new club in the future at some point like it's going back to square one again and and with coaches who perhaps or probably as the case is usually in australia haven't really been um you know uh been privy to some of these methods in coach development and listening to yourself and reflecting so, yeah it's interesting is it in the walls or is it in the people
0: no it's where where, where so where do you think they've got to like from from where to where? So if you could like, without going into too much detail, like paint a picture of the start and paint a picture of where you've got to.
2: Hmm. So my very first day in that club, I uh, I remember dressing up very fancy. Uh, put a put a shirt on. I was a consultant from the university. When I was coming in to tell them how to teach more effectively, and so I walked in and I delivered uh, all of my evidence and went, "This is this is how we should do it." And I was very fortunate that they uh, were fairly patient with me while I got down off my academic high horse and started uh, in a bit more of their context. Um, So over that time, they've developed from a place where they just want to know what the right way is to more of an understanding around things changing based on on what's happening around them and, and moving away from that idea that, uh, there's some research evidence that says that this is, this is the case because it's not always the case. In it's, It depends is, is the phrase. I know it gets thrown around a lot, but um, they've become uh, really reflective learners um, to the point where they're no longer just seeking, oh, just give us that that next silver bullet or that next gem that we can apply straight away. So that's been really nice to see.
0: Who do you think translated it from your initial kind of interactions? Them or you, or is it a combination of both of you? So you would go, actually, evidence would say this. I think what, what I've heard you say is they've taken some of that, they've applied it into their context, they've, you know, it would adapt. They would make decisions within those principles, I guess. And then, like, who's, trans, who's translated it and made it? Do you, do you feel like they've owned that process, or do you feel like As a coach developer, you've had to drive that quite a bit to start and then tape it off. I'm just curious.
2: Yeah, good question. I've had a really easy job of that part of it because I've been working with some really great people at the club who are probably sitting in between research and practice. So initially um, Aaron Greaves, who was the head of football development there, um, he was an ex-school teacher and had a bit of a handle on the education research, and that was the kind of initial contact. So he was really great at, at going, oh, well, Rob, that textbook's great, but put it down. We've got to do something a little bit different uh, and kind of disseminate the information differently. Um, and so, yeah, once Greasy moved on, um, been working more closely with Michael Voss, who's senior assistant coach there, but just really hungry for research around pedagogy and leadership and um, all of this kind of stuff. Um, and he's kind of my filter for for translating, I guess, and and making stuff more footy-friendly, if you like.
0: What have you learned? Because like, sounds like you've learned quite a bit from this process as well. Uh, if you oh, I've learned. It. Rusty, here's four lessons. Here's four big lessons. Masonlearning.com has, <laughs> <laughs> has learned from this. What, what would they be?
2: Wow, four, four lessons over five years. doesn't quite divide up nicely, but I'll go with it anyway. I don't know if I'll even come up with four. My four... Putting me on the spot here. Number one lesson would be meeting them where they are. I think early on as a pretty green researcher slash didn't realise at the time, but I was a coach developer, just going in with, here's what I think you need, wasn't the right way to do things and it was a a huge learning. Um, And it seems really obvious to say now, but at the time I was like, I've got this evidence, it's going to change your world. So (laughs) figuring out where they are and what they need would be the most important one um i guess another another big learning i had along the way was that you know australian rules football is fairly unique it's fairly similar to rugby and how the coaches operate particularly on game day but a lot of the research has been with you know youth soccer academies and american football and they're just different environments and and the way that communication happens can look quite different so so not comparing apples and oranges in that regard um probably had to talk myself down from, um, you know, trying to get some standards for, oh, communication should be in this bandwidth and this bandwidth. And it doesn't quite work like that. So.
0: Yeah. The, the youth soccer coaches aren't losing their jobs tomorrow, with due respect, Rob.
2: <laughs> no, they're not. No, there's some... <laughs> I'll let you uh, take the reins on that, Rusty. I only not touch that topic.
0: How much of it, uh, and, and, maybe, uh, and maybe you'll think of two more things, but and how much of it do you feel like... Some of the you know, the stuff at the start felt like it was quite formal for you, like from you, like presenting to them and, you know, I'm, I'm imagining you in the shirt and the tie and not quite looking the part. Um, how much of it's been, been that, like you standing up presenting versus you actually just, like, hanging out with them a bit, like nudging, possibly feeling a little bit more, in, you know, you, you've got the tie around your head as opposed to your neck you know, a little bit more informal and, and relaxed. How's that? How's that look for you?
2: Okay, that's lesson three then. Good one. Uh, might be around how formal stuff is and just, I guess the headline for that is relationships really, isn't it? It's the learning that you can have in the boardroom with a PowerPoint slide up in front of you is fairly limited, but it's the, the day-to-day, going to get a coffee, sitting in after the meeting and, and reflecting on how things went. I think that's where the the gold comes and that's something that was difficult in the early parts because I was flying in, fly out and not on the ground all the time. So I was really grateful to spend a season or two actually in the club fairly well full time and, and seeing, you know, when there's an hour free on a Tuesday, being able to sit down with a coach and just have a chat. I think they're, they're the, the golden moments where you you get more of those opportunities for space and reflection that coaches often don't get because of their busy schedules.
0: Yeah, and has anyone has anyone like not bought into it? Has anyone like gone now, not having this?
2: No, surprisingly, I. It would have been a huge learning figuring out how to get someone who was a complete skeptic on all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, that's what
0: I was curious as if you if you turned out turned someone round, you know, like because because the other thing I was thinking about was like maybe your fourth lesson was like you really needed to demonstrate impact because I was wondering like, do they feel like it's translated to performance? Cause ultimately they, you know, they, it'd be really cool if they were like, you know, had this process in the coaches box, but if it meant they lost all their games, they, they might not like adopt it.
2: Right. Yeah. It's such a hard one to show, isn't it? Like what's the ultimate performance change and how do you separate out what I'm doing with the coaches from You know what SNC is doing, what the coaches are doing, what Skillac's doing. What you know? There's so many variables that contribute to that that win loss. At the end of the day, it's yeah, it's it's tricky. Like it's it's you gotta eat a slice of humble pie at times because you know you you go and catch up with a family friend and mum goes, oh Rob's working with with Port Adelaide and and he's helping them get to the top of the ladder and it's mum's never actually said that and she'll probably (laughs) cringe. So you know it's. Talking people down from that notion, like it might be 0.01 of a percent difference and that's okay with me.
0: Yeah, we're, we're often chasing cause and effect and uh, often mm. when teams are winning, we're chasing it a little bit more. Hey,
1: Will, you tell everyone what are you are up to at Call 37? Hi, Fletch. We're a teamwear brand based in the Northeast and we're the sister company of Oddballs. We've got the largest sports sublimation factory in the UK and we've produced for the biggest brands in Europe over the past seven years. But with Core 37, our in-house brand, you can now access those prices direct to the customer. Why would people use Core 37? Uh, If I was to pick 3 flesh, it would be our lead time of three to four weeks, our price, which is lower than anybody else in the industry, and the fact that we're made here in the UK. What's the stuff you're most proud of with Core 37? Uh, There's loads of stuff, but the the key one for me would be working for a company that, that genuinely believes in its own mission statement which is to produce performance sportswear at an affordable price. And then underpinning that is the people. Everybody who works here is involved in grassroots sport in some way. And so we generally care about what we're doing here. Fletch, why do you want to partner with Core 37? Uh, Apart from the fact you're a Geordie, uh, great people. uh, Lots of people involved in sport. Really affordable and top quality. Thanks for joining us, Wilkie. Anyone who wants to find out more can go and have a play on their website at core-37.com or they can reach out directly to Tom at core 37.com.
2: Absolutely. Especially in a world that relies so heavily around, uh, well, to to go with a pet topic of yours, uh, some of those economic decisions. I mean, can you put a, a dollar figure on the economic impact of a coach developer in a club? I mean, if you're able to do that, then few of us might get jobs a bit more quickly or you know it'd be a really interesting one to try and tease apart what, no, what it's that a great is.
0: it's a great question isn't it to actually if you could actually because I'm asked obviously like, I look at some people I think uh, if the money you spend here on this like versus the opportunity to I mean all, all host of things that you know a really good coach developer or could could support them with like, it just doesn't make sense to me often.
2: Like, uh,
0: yeah, I have a coach developer like coming in. I mean, you're not coming in all the time. You're relatively intermittent. Yeah, there's also an element of like, and I wondered whether this was the case where the coaches also see value in like, they just feel better, like they're just a little bit happier. And actually, again, like, is that leading to better performance? Because actually, it's like that's then impacting upon. Like the players because they notice that and they don't see stressed coaches and so they're a bit more chilled and they may be able to be themselves and I don't know like is that something they they've spoken to you about or not?
2: Maybe that's the headline for this entire podcast. Coach development is a placebo effect. Is <laughs> is the idea that there's a someone there watching over what the coaches are doing? Is that reassurance enough that the coaches are more confident and and the players notice that? I wonder.
0: Yeah. And what, and, and then again, so my last question about FL, So have you have you noticed that the stuff in the, because you it sounds like you focus predominantly on like the match day and the coaching box. Have you noticed that they've also taken some of that stuff and gone, actually, this is relevant to training as well. And actually how we work, how we co-coach, what our communication looks like. How do we, you know, when we're, when we're out of the blue and into the red, how do we get back into the blue type stuff? Is that, have you, have you noticed that as well?
2: Yeah, it's super important that it's an organisation-wide thing so it's not just, oh, you can communicate really effectively in the coach's box and then go back to screaming at training. You know? <laughs> so um, I was really fortunate to work with a Skill Act specialist named Carl Woods who um, did a heap of work around um, changing the training environment at the club so that, um, you know, the game does the teaching, all of those kind of principles um, creating an environment where players can um, find solutions to the the problems that the coaches give them, and so that helped the coaches as well with that shift in mindset. From I'm a coach, I've got the answers, to I'm a coach, I can actually pose some problems and and start to um, you know push players in different directions and and challenge them where they need it. So I think going through that process and redesigning training and and changing the mindset there has helped with the coaches box and vice versa. So I think. Yeah, if I was going to do something from scratch, I I want it to be with someone in that space as well, just to get the, the marriage across the program.
0: Nice. Uh, one last question: You're allowed two replays. So you've done five years with uh, with them. Like, if you could replay those two those five years again, and you can change two things, what would you change?
2: Ooh. Is this one of your cards? You're asking great questions. No, are you no, just no. Are you got a deck below the camera. Yeah, it's
0: just <laughs> That's funny. a good one.
2: Change You're two things
0: because we, you know, I, I'll tell you why I ask. Because like most times when you get in the car and you drive home, you go, oh, oh, god, like mm. I just wonder, like over such a sustained period, like mm. what would you would you have done some stuff differently? So I. I mean, yeah. I mean, I often think in the those some of those projects I've been doing for longer periods of time. That, well, I won't tell you. What are your two?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I nearly got away with it. All right, my my first would be being more patient before giving all the answers, which I did a lot early, um, especially coming in as an outsider without the street cred of having been an elite athlete myself, I probably felt the need to, to prove myself a bit and that was through giving them solutions straight away, um, which if I had my time again would be a lot more kind of slow burner, involve them in the process around what do you actually want feedback on rather than putting my two cents in. So that would be a huge one. And I think the second one would just be around creating more space when I wasn't physically at the club to to still have those informal interactions. And it's really hard to do over you know over Zoom or over the phone. But a few more of those informal interactions at times probably would have helped to keep the momentum going in the early days when it was just oh Rob's coming in every month or so um, to keep on top of those type of things. So yeah, that'd be the two where I was probably a bit green and and wide-eyed and what on earth am I doing um, that I've realised over time could have made a difference
0: yeah have someone in charge of the Mason Learning Coffee Club in between visits like and I guess that's the Belinda role isn't it like you almost wanted to create a Belinda at, uh, at the club
2: yeah absolutely someone who can drive that day to day and yeah it, in some aspects we had that with some of the coaches at the club and I was in contact with them more but to uh, to be able to embed that a little bit more and and have that, yeah, the coffee club mentality of of just what have you read lately? What have you listened to? How's it challenged your thinking? I think that would have probably enriched the program a little bit more.
0: Yeah. Maybe if you go in and it got me thinking about like how you start this, that was what I was always thinking about. I'm always go back to like a few years down and I go, if I only had started it differently. So like literally with no preconceptions, like with no like, plan of what this is going to look like or sometimes i look back and I go i actually would have benefited from probably like signposting and kind of soft contracting a bit of stuff that actually there's been a bit of slippage as a result of not doing that and then the yeah. other one is the same as you like how do you create people who like one of my principles is around follow the energy like how do you then support those people who have the energy to to keep it alive, keep it alive while you're not there. Do you know what I mean? Keep the flame burning. Like, yeah, I mean, that's the analogy, isn't it? Like, we just want to keep this this fire burning while we're uh, getting better.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's such a reality of the consultant life, isn't it? You're not there full time, 24-7. How do, you, how do you keep that hacky sack in the air so the others can keep kicking it around without hitting the ground? No,
0: it's hacky sack.
2: I like, I like your fire metaphor better. That was, that was clumsy.
0: I like hacky sack. <laughs> It's like the episode of Friends where they're keeping the ball alive. Um, And and, and now you've got, like, a a proper job as well. Um, A grown-up job, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) How is that? I mean, do you have to tell us about it? Like, how's it been and what what are you learning?
2: Yeah, so in a slightly different space but still doing lots of similar stuff. So I'm involved with curriculum development at a not-for-profit called Mental Health First Aid. Um, so we've got it, it started in in Australia, but there's there's a UK um, arm to it as well, and it's in whole heap of countries around the place. Um, essentially, it's a, a training course to help members of the public um, notice signs of mental illness in friends, family, workmates, and intervene um, effectively until they can get them to professional help. So it's a it's like a, a Red Cross first aid course, but for mental health problems. And so yeah, it's just been working on their kind of learning materials and, and updating stuff and, and bringing things into line with um, some more kind of best practice um, education research. So that's been a really fun project for the first six months of being there and certainly in a different space, but so much stuff that applies to, to coaching as well around, you know, my first team meeting with this new workplace, they finished the meeting with, all right, what's everyone doing for self-care this week? And i whoa, hang on a minute. <laughs> So that was nice, refreshing, and kind of gave me a new perspective on on saying yes to stuff and and how much of it and and how to take care of myself when I'm not go 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 and building a bit more of that into my everyday. You're you're smiling with that knowing look, Rusty.
0: Yeah, were you, were you like? I was thinking, oh my god, like I hope other people answered before me. So, I can <laughs> hurriedly, hurriedly think of something. I mean, it's a great question, isn't it? Like, and it's. Uh, I speak a lot with either coaches or business where like often the, the other reality is often the leaders aren't like modeling this stuff. So, mm. I mean, A, being able to model it, but B actually just checking in with people on what have they done to take care of themselves this week is a, it's a helpful question and probably a reasonable way to like start or end meetings
2: yeah, and even, you know, starting the next meeting by checking in on keeping people accountable to what they did in the previous week. It's not just a token, all right, we better just kind of ask this thing because we're doing the right thing. It's it's a genuine part of that weekly cycle, which is really nice um, and a constant reminder that, you uh, yeah, that it's all right to go a bit slower at times and you don't have to listen to that 47th podcast episode this week. Although it's this one, you've done well.
0: Yeah. I was just imagining you going into the AFL and that's like your opening question. And the coaches will be like, So what so what is it? I mean, what is applicable? What have you noticed that's helpful for coach for coaches and coaching?
2: I think just fighting that battle of feeling like you always need to do more. There's such a, and it's, it's more in certain sports than others, but there's a bit of a grind culture at times. And, and it's a race to the top of like, oh, how many books have you read this month? Like, you know, how many extra hours have you put in on watching film all this kind of stuff. But it's, it's, I think the big learning is that there's a lot to be said for refreshing yourself a bit and starting things fresh the next day at times. Um, there's an analogy in here. There's a, there's an old, old fable about, you know, if, if you had to chop down a hundred trees or something, you know, sharpening your axe would be the first thing you'd do. Um, I think it's the same for your mind. Most likely I've certainly felt a lot more, um, switched on with what I'm doing during the day, knowing that I'm going to spend an hour after work having a run or, you know, butchering a ACDC song in the guitar or whatever it might be. Not everything that every moment of every day has to be around making yourself better as a coach. Take an hour or two off, spend some time with your significant other, watch some, you know, some fairly questionable Netflix if you need to, but don't feel like you need to justify uh, downtime activities by making them sport or coaching related. I think that's fairly important.
0: Yeah, that tradition of like
1: the grind.
0: So my old boss welcomed the England under 20s with a video entitled Welcome to the Grind. I thought should be the time of their lives. Um, (laughs) But also, I think there's a sense of and we talked about this yesterday uh, with Abbott, like sometimes there's like this sense of guilt that I should be as well. So if other people are or I see like other coaches doing this and like if I'm not like, surely I should be working type stuff. Like, I, I, I wonder if that's often, like, the root cause of this as well. Like, it's, you know, this modelling, but then actually people start to feel guilt if they take time out for themselves. And then I guess as leaders, we've got, head coaches, we've got to be better at, you know, signposting and, and, and modelling this stuff. Someone actually asked me yesterday, just triggered me. Like, she said, um, what are you... What are you doing to keep yourself mentally fresh at the moment, then? And uh, <laughs> and I probably haven't done it that well this week. Would be my view. Yeah. Um, there you go. So, uh, but the run, the run it is—it's running, it's gym, it's like just going for a walk. There's a ice cream van about uh, two and a half kilometers there, two and a half kilometers back. That's like, you know, that's a that's a good you know five k walk with a, an ice cream reward halfway. Um, is a game changer for me.
2: That's motivation enough to even get me walking, I reckon. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's those little things. Sometimes it's the incidental stuff that's just five or ten minutes of you know, doing a quick bit of yoga or something on a lunch break. Like I'm working at a desk for most of the day at the moment and I find that just doing that is enough because otherwise if you commit to self-care, you think, oh, God, there's another two hours out of my week that I've got to somehow schedule in and put it in the diary, but it doesn't. I think that can be a barrier to actually getting it done. It doesn't need to be a huge block. It could be those little moments. Um, so yeah, that's really think,
0: and the other, okay, the added bonus for me is it's often like my best thinking time. So actually yeah. I, I might not feel like I'm doing work, but I'm sure my subconscious is, is throwing some stuff around and trying to make sense of it. And, and and I will often when I'm not, you know, I'll often have to go as, as often it happened last night as I went to sleep, like, I often have to text myself, oh, just thought of that. What a great idea. Okay, hmm. right. That's uh and what other stuff have you have you have you noticed that they do? I was curious like as to whether like just checking in with people, finding out where they are, what have they been up to? Is that a that might be something that, that's pretty common where you're working as well?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Having like a weekly check-in one-on-one with you know, various people around the organization has been really good. Um I mean, my boss is uh, a clinical psychologist, which is great. You know, she's really um, strong on those those skills of having empathy and and listening and checking in. And I think yeah, if anyone can, uh, at some point in their life, have a boss who's a clinical psychologist, it makes your life a lot easier because just the level of empathy and insight into what other people are feeling is is really really nice um and so particularly because we're working in a you know a mental health organization where sometimes we're dealing with some fairly challenging content at times it's it's a necessary part of of this job but i would argue a necessary part of any job Uh, there there are certain stresses in any environment and coaching is certainly no different um there are things that can can trigger you and can get you pretty worked up at times and anxiety is normally pretty high so um, having someone to check in with like that I think would be a good learning to take into the to the coaching space, whether it's a mentor or, a, say, a coach developer or just a friend who's completely removed from your context and your sport to go, that was pretty crap, but here's what I'm going to do next week to change it.
0: The, um, I think like, I was chatting to Fletcher about it yesterday, like, I think the world is missing people that are like glue, that just like do that and they might not, like others... This, you know, amazing. Well, they do have an amazing skill set, but they might not have like a defined role in the organization. They just glue. They just kind of connect people, check in with them. They're really good at like supporting people. They when when there's a gap, they plug it. They, you know, they're able to. Yeah, they, they would. They probably have a really varied skill set if I'm honest. Um, what, if I came to watch your boss, like, what would I, what would I see? Like, you, you, you like spoke about like she's pretty cool. Like, what would I see if I was watching her working?
2: Yeah, good question. It's it's difficult to put a visual on it because we're all working online. So um, oh. the, the main office is in Melbourne, which is in lockdown, and I'm in South Australia, which is in lockdown. So it, it adds another layer of complexity. But I think what my boss is particularly great at is, is making those informal opportunities to just catch up and it doesn't necessarily have to be about work all the time um because i think that there's a there's a danger in working from home that you know you haven't got those opportunities to go past the tea room or you know go past your mate's office and go come on let's go for a walk and grab a coffee um so you've got to build those moments in to your day and if, if that doesn't happen then you can feel a bit like you're kind of I don't know, there's a bit of kind of forced productivity happening. So so building those moments in is something that, that my boss is particularly good at. Um, but then just creating that that team culture as well of, you know, I mean everyone gets along anyway, but just having regular opportunities to check in as a whole team as well and, and support each other is is good because it's not just then a, a one-to-one responsibility, it's a it's a shared kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I wondered if uh, she was good at creating a team team because the reality is like that group of people are going to need a reasonable amount of support, aren't they, if they're having to deal with quite a lot of tough stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, we're we're all kind of looking out for each other and even though it's all online, it, it still feels like I've made some good relationships and some, uh, some lifelong friendships out of the organisation. So it's, yeah, happy days.
0: Nice. It's going to be weird when you eventually meet them in real life and, and they see you and realise quite how tall you are. <laughs> well, have you told them? Have you told them how tall you are?
2: Well, I I actually shared a photo. I uh, got married in in March and shared a photo from our wedding. And my my wife is about five foot two, um, and I'm as as you're well aware now, six foot five-ish, six foot six. And so, you know, there were lots of comments around. Did did you marry Polly Pocket or something? To um, go there, but um, they're aware. They haven't met me in real life for the most part yet. But uh, that'll be a fun day, won't it? <laughs>
0: Nice, nice. And, and, what, and what next? What have you got on the horizon? Anything anything coming up that uh, keep my eye out for?
2: Oh, look, there's a couple of draft blog posts ready to go. Um, Come on, having...
0: what on, what on?
2: <laughs> so I've been having some pretty regular coffee catch-ups with a linguistics expert here in Adelaide named John Walsh. So yeah, yeah, he yeah. wrote a, a paper that, you know, you ended love up John in...
0: Walsh. You love John Walsh, don't you?
2: I bloody love John Walsh. I want to give him Two reloads. I mean, he's one of the only other researchers to do something in Australian football in communication. So, um, yeah, I I really want to share a blog post of some of his research that ended up um, in a book chapter that probably not many people will have access to. So, that's one one of the things I'm really keen with on the blog. Is, is, it, the, making uh,
0: is it the one that the, It's like the 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 story inside the coach's head. Is it that one?
2: No, it's not that one. This one's on the, the scale of reacting, barracking through to oh, evaluating and strategizing. So, nice,
0: mate. Uh, uh, Tax is going to be happy you're doing some stuff on that because he loves it, doesn't he? And
2: he's all about it, Tax. He loves it. And uh, semi viral with one of those tweets around that stuff. He's a, a force to be reckoned with on social media.
0: Oh, well, mate, that's exciting. When's the, when's the next blog post coming out?
2: Uh ooh, yeah, should hold myself accountable to that and say end of next week. We'll call it end of next week. Come
0: on. Mate, I'm pumped for that. And, and obviously yeah, yeah. people can find you on uh masonlearning.com or on, on Twitter.
2: On Twitter, Rob Mason12 on Twitter. Um yeah, blog posts will be coming out and then yeah, what else is happening? Just looking forward to uh keeping on going with uh the stuff with Port Adelaide and been lucky enough to help out with the AFL's Level Three Coaching Accreditation, which has gone from a two-day "Here's the PowerPoint slide deck" to it's over a, the course of a season with ten coach developers. So something really exciting the AFL's kind of um, been rolling out this season. So yeah, we have a, a catch-up once every couple of weeks, and um, that's something else on the horizon to look forward to, I guess.
0: You're on fire! You are like you are going viral. Well done. <laughs> uh, I love that. Uh, I love checking in. I love like catching up with guests and just seeing how their lives have evolved and what they've been up to. So uh, it's been it's been class again to catch up and uh, enjoy the uh, enjoy your evening in Adelaide. And uh, we'll catch up again soon for part three. I'm sure.
2: Part three, it'll be happening, and I'll be asking you what you've done for self care in that amount of time, Rusty.
0: Yeah. What's um, it going to be? Well, I'm going to SEDBA for three weeks, and that is the ultimate self care. It is. Brilliant. It's it's phone in pocket. It's no zoom. It's only phone in pocket because because um, it's, it's large number of steps. It's like green. It's uh, bathing in rivers. Um, it's all the stuff that I love. It's not driving. So once I'm there, I don't get in the car once. It's like it's joyful to be honest.
2: Mate, you're, it sounds like you're already halfway there in your mind. I love it. It's ticking a lot of boxes. It sounds like it's going to be a good way to recharge. Pretty really
0: excited. So, mate, look, stay safe and we'll catch up soon. Thanks for having me, Rusty. Pleasure as always.
1: Cheers, dude. Cheers.